So spooky kids, tonight we have a paranormal treat for you. I'm Sarah, your host for this episode, and as usual I'm joined by Lou. Hello everyone. And this is our podcast where the monsters are. If you're tuning in for the first time tonight and you like what you hear, please give us a like and subscribe and we appreciate any reviews you could leave us too. So, for all you supernatural lovers out there, tonight's story is one of the most well-known hauntings of all time. There are some that consider the case to be the most witnessed and valid case of paranormal haunting, but there are also many others who are convinced it was one of the greatest hoaxes of all time. This, my friends, is the case of the Enfield Poltergeist. The Enfield Poltergeist was the name given to a claim of supernatural activity that took place in Enfield in the UK between 1977 and 1979. The case involved two sisters, Margaret and Janet Hodgson, and it attracted a lot of media attention. But the story attracted interest from more than just the British newspapers and has since been mentioned in books, on television and has had a Hollywood movie made of it. So the word supernatural means a force beyond the scientific understanding of the laws of nature, such as ghosts. The word poltergeist is German for noisy ghost or noisy spirit. It's a type of ghost or spirit that is responsible for physical disturbances, such as loud noises and objects being moved around or destroyed. Now, it was a poltergeist that was supposed to have been the type of spirit that haunted the house in Enfield. It was claimed that in 1977, and for the next two years, it caused disturbances in the home of Peggy Hodgson and her children. Peggy was a single mother to four children, and in August of 77, she called the police out to 284 Green Street in Enfield, London, the house she was renting, claiming she'd witnessed the furniture moving, and that two of her children had heard knocking sounds on the walls. The children were Margaret Hodgson, who at the time was 13, and her younger sister, 11-year-old Janet. And at this time, Peggy told the police constable she'd seen a chair wobble and slide across the floor all on its own. This was followed by later claims of disembodied voices, loud noises, overturned chairs, toys being thrown across the room, and children levitating. And over the next 18 months, over 30 people, which included neighbours, psychic researchers and journalists, all said they had also seen furniture moving on its own, objects flying across the room, and the two daughters levitating off the ground, along with knocking noises and a voice. In fact, two members of the Society for Psychical Research, Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair, reported hearing curious whistling and barking noises coming from the younger sister Janet's direction. And while Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair believed it to be true, others were sceptical and actually found evidence that the sisters had faked some of the incidents for the benefit of the journalists. Although Playfair maintained the haunting was real and actually wrote in his book that an entity was the cause of the Enfield disturbances, he did doubt the truth of the children's claims and wondered if they may have been exaggerating or playing tricks on them. But although both himself and Gross believed some of the activity was faked by the girls, they also believed that some of the incidents were genuine. Other paranormal investigators who studied the case included American demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren, who visited the house in 1978. They were also convinced that the events they witnessed had a supernatural explanation. But there were also sceptics when it came to the case. 
Gross and Playfair, who believed there was genuine activity in the house, witnessed Janet faking events. A video camera caught her bending spoons and trying to bend an iron bar. Gross saw Janet banging a broom handle on the ceiling and hiding his tape recorder, and Playfair said that one of Janet's voices, a man she named as Bill, who is thought to be Bill Wilkins, a former resident at the house, would have a habit of suddenly changing the topic of conversation, which was a habit he observed Janet herself seemed to have. That being said, when Janet and Margaret admitted playing pranks to journalists, Gross and Playfair pressured the girls to retract their confessions. Psychical researcher Renee Haynes uh, said doubts were raised about the alleged poltergeist voice at the Second International Society for Psychical Research, SPR, conference in Cambridge in 1978 where the video cassettes from the case had been examined. And SPR investigator Anita Gregory said the case was overrated and stated several episodes um, of the girls' behaviour as suspicious and speculated that the girls had staged some of the incidents for the journalists seeking a sensational story. The story was being covered by the Daily Mail until reports came to an end at the end of 1979. Playfair also noted that a remote-controlled still camera that was set to take a picture every 15 seconds, the one that actually revealed the famous picture of Janet levitating, actually showed her bouncing off her bed like it was a trampoline. Joe Nicholl examined the findings and criticised them, stating the tape recorder that Gross regarded as supernatural activity and that SPR president David Fontana described as an occurrence that appeared to defy the laws of mechanics was a threading jam that occurred with older model reel-to-reel tape recorders. He also said that Ed Warren was notorious for exaggerating and even making up incidents in cases and was often known to turn a haunting case into one of demonic possession. And even as recently as 2015, Deborah Hyde said there was no solid evidence to the Enfield poltergeist and the occurrences did not happen under controlled circumstances and people frequently see what they want and expect to see their experiences being influenced by what they believe to be true. An American magician, Milbourne Christopher, also investigated the case briefly, but he did not see anything that he would call paranormal, and was concerned by what he thought was suspicious activity by Janet. He later said that the poltergeist was nothing more than the antics of a little girl who was very clever and wanted to cause trouble. John Belloff, the former president of the SPR, suggested Janet was using ventriloquism and both him and Gregory were convinced that they were playing tricks on the journalist. Even an actual ventriloquist, Ray Allen, visited the house and also conducted that the male voices coming from Janet were just simple vocal tricks. Skeptics have argued that the voice that would originate from Janet was produced by false vocal cords above the larynx and the characteristics and vocabulary used was that of a child, not of a man, as suggested. In an interview for the BBC in Scotland, Janet was seen waving her hand and then putting it in front of her mouth when the disembodied voice was heard, and during the interview, when the sisters were asked what it was like to be haunted by a poltergeist, Janet replied, It's not haunted, as Margaret interrupted whispering, Shut up. Nicole also noted that the poltergeist only seemed to act when it wasn't being watched.
And although Gross made tape recordings of Janet and believed them to be genuine, Bob Cootie said the ones that he had let him listen to told him there was nothing that was beyond the capabilities of an imaginative teenager. Okay, so what did Ed and Lorraine Warren actually have to do with it? I briefly mentioned them earlier, but Ed and Lorraine Warren, the world-famous demonologist, also visited the house in 1978 and the horror film by James Wan, The Conjuring 2, loosely depicts the story. The Warrens were amongst those who were convinced that the events that they witnessed did have a supernatural explanation, but critics said that they had a much lesser involvement in the case than was portrayed in the movie and that they had just turned up uninvited and were refused admittance to the house. They briefly investigated and pretty much most articles I found didn't even mention them. Guy Lyon Playfair said they were only there for a day and that Ed had told him he could make a lot of money from the case. The couple who founded the New England Society for Psychic Research and wrote many books about the paranormal were regarded by some as frauds and charlatans. Sadly, Ed Warren passed away in August 2006 and Lorraine in April 2019. She did state that although some artistic licence had been taken, the majority of the first Conjuring film was very accurate, but I could not find anywhere where she mentioned the Enfield Poltergeist case. So let's have a look at the evidence. It was in 1977 when Peggy Hodgson suddenly heard a loud bang coming from upstairs of the council house she shared with her four children. She ran upstairs to find her daughters, 13-year-old Margaret and 11-year-old Janet, in the bedroom they shared with the chest of drawers in the middle of the floor. Upon asking what was going on, they told her it had moved there of its own accord. Now this is quite um, a big chest of drawers as well, so it would be pretty hard for the girls to move like that. So in theory, they wouldn't have been able to do it themselves. I mean, they yeah, they could. This turned into multiple experiences and strange goings-on inside the house, and there were many others that had encounters that backed up the story. From the neighbour that went in after experiencing the first events, who upon entering the house himself heard noises but couldn't say what had made them and called the police. One of the first officers on the scene also witnessed a chair move across the floor unassisted. It wasn't long after that reporters began to become interested in what was happening in the house. The Daily Mail captured photos of 11-year-old Janet floating in mid-air and the BBC attempted to make an audio recording to find they could not use the findings as the tape had become twisted. But it was two members of the Society for Psychical Research, Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair, that recorded the most information to prove the haunting was real. It included Lego bricks and marble shooting across the room that were too hot to touch. They also attempted to communicate with the ghost, which eventually progressed to basic knocks to it actually speaking to them using the girls as its conduit. A policewoman gave a sworn affidavit that she'd seen many objects appear out of thin air, spoons bending, fires randomly breaking out in the home. One of the most disturbing events was when the poltergeist took control of Janet's body and she began to speak in the raspy voice of an elderly man that they believed to be the former resident in the house. The voice was recorded on audio tapes and he told them he had fallen asleep when he died in a chair in the corner of the room. But in the years since, the sisters have admitted that they did fake some of the poltergeist activity. 
Janet was noted to say that her and her siblings did once or twice fake it just to see if Mr Gross and Mr Playfair would catch them. And they always did, she said. She also later claimed that about 2% of the incidents were actually fake. The classic photograph of Janet supposedly levitating off her bed could easily have been Janet just jumping. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest she isn't hovering in midair. And people have even reproduced the image at home, taking photos of them jumping off their beds. And eyewitness sources were unreliable and could have just been the power of suggestion causing people to believe they had seen these things that they thought were real from the ideas that had been presented to them. Also, the occurrences didn't take place in a controlled environment and people frequently tend to see what they expect to see. Professor Chris French, a psychologist based at Goldsmiths University in London, works with his team in the Animalistic Psychology Research Unit where they try to explain paranormal and such related beliefs, believes this could be the case. An example of this was an experiment his team did where they showed a group of people an alleged psychic who was really a magician doing some psychokinetic metal bending, the type of thing Yuri Geller used to do with spoons. And in this video, the psychic bends a key using a sleight of hand. He puts the key down on the desk in front of him and says, if you look closely, you can see it's still bending. And 40% of the people watching said they could still see it carrying on bending. When Graham Morris from the Daily Mirror mentioned to the girls that poltergeists had been known to cause fires to start, suddenly the Enfield poltergeist turned its hand to pyromania. Playfair didn't seem to like the fact that people were claiming he'd been fooled by the children but it wouldn't be the first time that someone had been fooled by children. One of the most famous examples of this was when Arthur Conan Doyle, the mind that created one of the world's most well-known detective Sherlock Holmes, was fooled by nine-year-old Frances Griffiths and her cousin Elsie Wright, who claimed they'd seen fairies. Determined to prove it to their families, Elsie lent her father's camera, telling them she would bring back the proof. Sure enough, when the girls returned and the picture was developed, it showed Francis surrounded by four fairies. They were adamant the image was real. They backed this up a few weeks later with a second photo that showed Elsie dancing with a gnome. The Cottingley fairies, as they became known, turned out to be one of the greatest hoaxes of the 20th century. In 1919, Elsie's mother took the photographs to a talk about fairies by the Theosophical Society in Bradford. The pictures got the attention of the society's president, who gave a series of lectures on the photos in the 1920s. Around that time, Arthur Conan Doyle had been researching articles on fairies, as he had an interest in spiritualism. He had several experts look at the photographs before he published them in the Strand magazine, saying if they were real it would prove the existence of fairies and the fact that you could photograph the supernatural. Conan Doyle even brought cameras for the girls and asked them to take more photos. He then went on to write about them and even discussed making a movie. He died in 1930 but the debate as to whether the photos were real continued until 1983 when Francis and Elsie finally confessed they had been fake. 
Playfair did think that Janet seemed the strongest focus of the events. He stated that the entity used Janet's sense of perception on things, so if Janet didn't know something, then neither did it. An article torn from a magazine was also found in the house about Matthew Manning, who was another child who was the focus of a poltergeist phenomena. His mother had reported that the first strange event that had occurred in their house had been the disappearance of a teapot. This, coincidentally, was also one of the first incidents that happened in Enfield. It's been over 40 years now since the actual activities in Enfield. So what has happened since? Well, what happened after still remains unclear. After the journalists stopped reporting on the case in 1979, experts couldn't agree on a logical explanation and the case was never truly closed. Janet did tell the Daily Mail that things began to quiet down toward the end of 1978 after a priest visited the house. However, it seemed that some point after Janet was suddenly no longer possessed. And whether the ghost remained and was still trapped inside the property has remained unknown. The mother, Peggy Hodgson, never moved out of the house until she died in 2003. Apparently, the next family that lived there reported strange incidents too, but I couldn't find any evidence of this. They reported hearing voices downstairs, encountering a man walking into rooms and only lived there for two months. Residents living there since have said the house used to be haunted, but it isn't anymore. Neighbours have said that groups of ghost hunters and film fanatics often visit the house as well as film crews. And there's also been a lot of speculation around whether the ghost ever really existed. Years later, Janet spoke of the event she lived through as traumatic and revealed she'd spent a short spell at a psychiatric hospital and that she was bullied at school. Her classmates would call her ghost girl. She also told the male that her mother had suffered a nervous breakdown and also wasn't happy when she heard a film was being made about the case as it dug up old memories that she'd wanted to forget when she'd moved out of the house at 16 years old. Both Janet and Margaret say that while they've managed to move on, the haunting does stay with them. It stays with you every step of the way, Margaret said in an interview. It's like death, really. It gets a little bit easier as time goes on, but the fear and the memories of it and what happened never leave you. Whether you're a believer or not, this case has kept people intrigued for over 40 years. And one question remains unanswered. Was this a true case of the unexplained or was the alleged poltergeist activity down to human intervention? Well, that's it for now. That's another episode, Spooky Kids. I hope you enjoyed it. What did you think? What did you make of it, Lou? I think I think it's an interesting case. I mean, you were mentioning about the the picture. Was it Janet's the younger one, isn't she? Yeah. Of where she's levitating. But yeah, I mean, if you look at it, it does look like she's jumping. She can kind of see her legs are bent. Yeah, and for me as well, I, when I've looked at that picture, it, it's not necessarily her. It's the the kids in the bed in the background. They're just they're not even looking at her. They're just looking down. You know. Oh, I didn't notice that. I just looked at her. Yeah, when I've seen some of the pictures, I mean, if their sister was levitating, they would look scared in the background, and they're just oh, so they're just sitting there. Well, yeah, they're not even looking at her. If you look at the picture, yeah. It does, on the face of it, sound like it's a hoax. The bit with the police, the bit where you you said the police saw a chair go across, you kind of think, well, how could you not realise that that's, you know, how can you not think that that's real? 
How could they have done that as a hoax? Would they have dragged it or? Well, it probably just didn't happen. It, you, it's like that woman that I said earlier. So it was like a suggestion. Tricks of the mind, isn't it? You're hoping and you're expecting to see something happen, I guess. So, you know, she might have seen the chair might have moved or whatever. I can't remember what it was I said that she saw. Something was floating in front of her, I think. But it probably wasn't. It probably was just a trick of her mind. She saw the chair there, then it was there. Oh. It moved, but she blocked that out. It's, it's when you're expecting to see something, you know that's what happened yeah i mean the other thing was the hot lego and bricks didn't you say that there was like instances of fire yeah in the house and maybe they did that as well well heated them up somehow maybe yeah maybe i mean i don't know if these are just things that were reported so you don't even know if they were actually real or if they just said that happened maybe not but those things were reported by yeah grossome Playfair, so I, I don't know. It's just there's nothing concrete, you know, with this, there's no actual evidence there that me or anyone else that's looked into the case, you could say, yeah, I'm convinced that there was a poltergeist. Interesting case. I mean, I guess you're talking about the 70s as well, so you're not talking like the era of social media, you haven't got no. like digital cameras and things. So even if the photos were taken, That'd be grainy as well. You could say also, though, that they didn't have the technology to maybe, you know, like nowadays you'd say, oh, that, that's photoshopped. Yeah. They wouldn't have been able to do that in them days. So, I mean, that could go either way. Yeah. That could be an advantage to prove it's not fake because they didn't maybe have that technology back then. Or, you know, it could go either way with that, couldn't it? Yeah, it is an interesting case. And as you say, it's, an, it's a famous case. Yeah, very, yeah, very famous. And they made The Conjuring 2 based on it. Yeah. So very interesting. Okay, yeah. So, well, I mean, do you want to give any hints as to what you'll be doing next week? Okay, so next week's going to be my episode. So it's going to be for the super sleuths again. It's a bit of a, I guess it's, it's about a building that has a very varied history there's murders suicides but i won't really go into any more than that and that sounds interesting well i will look forward to that anyway okay well thank you for listening again we hope you're enjoying what we've got to say and please if you've got any ideas of cases or stories that you want us to cover let us know we can look into that and please do subscribe to our channel and follow us just so we don't feel like we're talking to ourselves and don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at where the monsters are and leave us a review if you can we'd really appreciate it so until next week stay safe spooky kids bye bye